Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today I want to start a new sermon series with you. It will not be a sermon series where we sequentially make our way through a book of the Bible. It's difficult to do that in the summer months when various families are on holidays. Instead, we'll be doing a more topical sermon series. I want to focus on how the Lord revealed himself personally in special ways to various saints in the Old and New Testament. Often this happened at pivotal points in time in the lives of his people. You might ask, why focus a series on the encounters people had with God? Well, there's two main reasons for doing so. The first is that many of these saints were confronted with hardships, struggles, or challenges. God appears to give encouragement, support, and direction to his children. We see that the Lord our God is intimately involved in the lives of his people, that he ministers to them. But even more important, each of these encounters tells us something about God. In caring for his people, he reveals much about himself. Our primary goal in this series of sermons is to better learn to know our God. As we go through sermons on the personal encounters various people had with God, we need to remember that they lived in a different time than we do. The saints of the Old and New Covenant lived in a time when God had not yet fully revealed himself to his people. The fact that they experienced personal revelations from God should not make us seek the same. We live in the last days. Jesus Christ has come in fulfillment of prophecy. The Spirit has been poured out on the church. He lives in us as God's children. We have God's complete revelation in the Bible. It contains everything we need to know for our salvation. It's through what God records about himself in the Bible that we come to know him. Our text this morning deals with one of the Lord's revelations to Abraham. Through Abraham, the Lord was making a new beginning with mankind after the events at the Tower of Babel. The Lord had established a covenant, a personal relationship with Abraham. He had promised to make him into a great nation, to give him the land of Canaan as his own possession. He had said that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. While Abraham believed God's promises, he struggled to see how they would be fulfilled. In our text, the Lord appears to Abraham to assure him of his faithfulness. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord confirms his promises to Abraham in a special way to prove that he is our trustworthy God. We'll consider Abraham's struggle to be sure God's promises were for him and the Lord's sign to confirm that he 
is trustworthy. Genesis 15 begins with the Lord appearing to Abraham in a vision. He said to him, Fear not, Abram. So why does God speak these words to Abram? What was he afraid of? To understand these words, we need to go, we need to know something about Abram and his circumstances. The Lord had first appeared to him in Genesis 12. The Lord told him to get out of the country where he was living. He told Abram to leave behind all his relatives, even his parents. He said, go to the land I will show you. God commanded Abram to leave behind the riches and the settled life that Ur of the Chaldeans offered. He told him to leave his family behind, to depart from all that was familiar in life. He commanded him to go to a country that the Lord would show him. Genesis 12 verse 4 says that Abram went as the Lord told him. Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He simply trusted the Lord was leading his life. And that as long as he obeyed, all would turn out fine. In Genesis 13, when Abram had settled in Canaan, the Lord told him to look throughout the land. He promised to give it to him and his offspring forever. In Genesis 15, the Lord assures Abram of his promises in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Although Abram had just come back from rescuing Lot out of the hands of the four kings that had captured him, Abram and his household were small in comparison to the surrounding peoples. Yet the Lord reaffirmed he would be with Abram. He would protect him from harm. The Lord also promised, Your reward shall be very great. Abram has questions about this. God had promised to make him into a great nation. But to do that, God would have to give him a son. His wife, Sarah, was barren. At the time when Abram first left Haran, he was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. And by now they were even older. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. The Lord had promised to make Abram into a great nation, but the problem was he didn't even have a son. At that point in time, his servant Eliezer was his heir. He was the one who would inherit all Abraham had when he died. In his vision, the Lord told Abram to look toward heaven and number the stars if he was able to do so. The Lord promised, so shall your offspring be. Abram responds in faith. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram's vision continued with the Lord reaffirming his promise that Abram will possess 
the land of Canaan. Although Abram believed, he did not understand how the Lord would fulfill his promises. Although God's promises were wonderful, Abram had not experienced much in the fulfillment of these promises. He still did not have a son. And he didn't own even the smallest portion of the land of Canaan. There was a huge gap between what God promised and what Abram received. So he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? What Abram was asking was, how can I be sure that all your promises will come true? It's not only Abram that struggled with that question. At times in our lives, we all do. As we're growing up, we have dreams and aspirations about how our lives will turn out. We picture ourselves in a certain job or career. We think about meeting a special someone and getting married. We dream about having kids and owning our own home. We imagine having a happy life, lived under God's rich blessings. But life doesn't always turn out the way we expected it to. We may get stuck doing a job we don't really enjoy. Raising kids is often hard work that exhausts us. We may face struggles in our relationships. Perhaps our marriage ends in separation or in divorce. We may be drowning in debt. We may face struggles in our mental health. Accidents happen. Cancer diagnoses stun us. Death takes loved ones away. Life's circumstances can overwhelm us. And then, like Abram, we have questions. The Bible teaches us that God is good. It says that God loves his children. It teaches that he is all-powerful, that he's in control of everything that happens in this world. There's times in life when we begin to doubt God and his love and his care over us. Why? Because it seems to us at times that there is a gap between God's promises and the realities that face us in our lives. It seems like God is not living up to his promises or to what we expected from him. In such circumstances, we're easily tempted to rebel. If God won't give me what I think I deserve, I'll just take it for myself. I'll do what I want to squeeze a little bit of happiness out of my life. We justify our sins by making excuses. I deserve some satisfaction in life. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? We allow life's circumstances to master us. Abram didn't do that. He didn't allow life to push him around. He mastered life. How did he do that? He believed the Lord. He trusted 
God's promises, and he based his life on them. When he was struggling, Abram did not rebel. He talked to God. He brought his struggles and his doubts to the Lord. He asked God how he could be sure God's promises would come true. We know that when we talk to God, he hears our cries and our petitions. God loves to hear from us, especially when we're struggling. He has commanded us to call on him in the day of trouble and promised he will deliver us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's only when we come to God and seek answers from him that we learn to trust in his faithfulness. Brings us to our second point, and we'll consider the Lord's sign to confirm that he is trustworthy. Abram asked God, How can I know your promises are true, that they will be fulfilled in my life? That you will give me a son? That I will inherit the land of Canaan? That all the families of the earth will be blessed through me? The Lord responded by giving Abram a sign. He told Abram to bring him a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. We ask, what's going on? We don't understand what's happening in our text. But Abram knew. Abram brought the specified animals He cut the animals in half and he made a pathway between the carcasses of the animals and the birds. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. To understand this, we need to ask, how did people sign a contract in those days? How do we sign a contract today? Well, when you buy a house, you need to sign a purchase agreement and a mortgage loan agreement. When you get married, you sign the registration of marriage form to confirm that you will keep the vows that you just made. Our signature on a piece of paper is a way in which we confirm our promises. In our culture, there are consequences when we sign and then break our word. If you sign promising to pay your mortgage, but you don't make the payments, the bank can foreclose on you and they can take your house. If you break your marriage vows, your partner can demand financial compensation from you. In ancient times, they did not live in a written culture, but in a storytelling culture. In Abram's day, people had a much richer and more meaningful way of entering into a binding agreement. They had this ceremony in which they cut animals in half. And one or both parties pass through the bloody pathway formed by the halves of the animals and the birds. Thus, they acted out what would happen to anyone who did not keep their promises. The point of the ceremony was that if you reneged on fulfilling your promises, you would be put to death, just like the animals which had been cut in half. 
What we see happening in our text is that the Lord is making a covenant with Abram. A covenant is the establishment or the confirmation of a relationship between two parties. When the Bible speaks of the Lord making a covenant, it always uses the language of cutting a covenant. There's an example of this in Jeremiah 34, verse 18. The Lord says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and passed between the parts. The Lord says that he would give these covenant breakers over into the hands of their enemies, that their dead bodies would be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Our text continues by stating that as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It appears that once more the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Again, Abram receives further revelation from God. The Lord spoke dark things about what would happen to his offspring. The Lord said, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. The Lord foretold how the Israelites would be slaves in Egypt, but how he would bring them out with great possessions. And then the Lord promised to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Yet the Lord did not only make this promise verbally. He confirmed it with this covenant ceremony. Now normally in ancient times when you cut a covenant, the dominant or stronger party to the covenant would normally require the weaker party to pass between the cut-up animals. The stronger party might also pass between them, but in many cases he did not. Realistically, the stronger party was the one who had the power to impose the death sentence on the weaker party for breaking the covenant. In our text, it appears that Abram has awoken from his deep sleep. Our text says that when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animals that had been cut in half. The smoking firepot and flaming torch symbolize God. God is often symbolized by fire and smoke in the Bible. When God came down on Mount Sinai, it was wrapped up in smoke because God descended on it in fire. When God led his people through the wilderness, it was by a pillar of fire by night. And so in Abraham's vision, the Lord was the one who walked through the cut-up animals. With this vivid symbol, the Lord affirmed to Abram that he was committed to keeping the promise he had made to him. We know from the Bible, God cannot lie. God is a God of truth. He does what he says he's going to do. He is always faithful to his promises. But because of Abram's doubts and struggles, the Lord enters into a 
covenant agreement with him. He makes a binding contract that has the death penalty attached to it. God is saying, if I don't give you a son, or if I don't make you into a great nation, or allow your offspring to inherit the land of Canaan, then let me be like that cut up heifer or goat or ram. And so the Lord assures Abram of his gracious promises. Does this mean that Abram can now move forward and live a confident life in God's service? God assured him of the fact that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. That was huge. But it didn't fully answer Abram's questions. It doesn't fully answer ours. When we're confronted with God's absolute reliability, we often recognize that isn't really the issue. Our real problem is not that we think that God will break his promises. Our problem is often with ourselves. How do we know we will stick with God? When the Lord makes a covenant, it contains two parts. The Lord says, I will be your God and you will be my people. We can accept the first part where God promises to be our God. But how do we know that we will keep being his people? We all let God down. We don't always keep our commitments. We repeatedly sin against God, doing things contrary to his commands. How do we know that God won't get sick of us? of our unfaithfulness. What assurance do we have that God won't at some point write us off? In answering this question, we need to go back to the covenant-cutting ceremony. God did not require Abram to walk between the pieces of the cut-up animals. That is stunning. It's amazing. It was totally contrary to the social customs of those days. Normally the weaker party was required to walk through. But God does not require that of Abram. God goes through for both parties. For himself and for Abram. It shows God's Abundant grace. Whether or not Abram walked through the cut-up animals, he would never be able to keep the terms of the covenant. He could promise to be committed to God and to serve Him, but at some point he would disobey. When God walked through for both himself and Abram, he was saying, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. Abram, may I be cut off if I don't keep my part of the bargain. And may I be cut off if you don't keep your part 
of the bargain. I will bless you, even if it will cost me dearly to do so. We see this sign of how God is trustworthy, how he keeps his promises. Please remember that part of the Lord's covenant with Abraham was that in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise has a messianic aspect to it. It spoke of the coming of the Christ to save his people. So how was this covenant ceremony fulfilled in Jesus Christ? How did God prove his willingness to walk through the pieces of the cut-up animals for both himself and Abram? Remember, beloved, what the cut-up animals signified. They pointed to the fact that if one of the parties of the covenant did not live up to his obligations, he would be cut up. He would be killed. He would forfeit his life. Now consider what happened to Jesus Christ. He was willing to walk the pathway of suffering. He was hung on a cross for our sake. Matthew 27 tells us that at the sixth hour, darkness came upon the land. It's a symbol of God withdrawing his love and his grace from our Savior. About the ninth hour, Christ called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It speaks of the punishment Christ bore to pay for our sins. In Isaiah 53, verse 8, the prophet spoke of the sufferings of the coming Messiah. He said, He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Christ, who was God, figuratively walked between the pieces of the cut-up animals. He suffered the fate of the covenant breaker. He was put to death as if he were the one who did not keep his covenant promises. Was Christ unfaithful? Did he break the covenant? No, not at all. He took our place. He died for our sake because we are the ones who were unfaithful and didn't keep our covenant with God. There's a beautiful reference to the covenant-cutting ceremony of our text in Hebrews 6, the verses 17 to 20. The writer of Hebrews says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable purpose of his, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. God guarantees his trustworthiness with this wonderful sign of him passing through the pieces of the cut-up animals. He does this to give us a sure anchor for our souls. 
You know what an anchor is? Anchors are used when you go boating. If you want your boat to stay in the same place out in the lake, you throw out an anchor. The anchor drops to the bottom of the lake and its hooks prevent the boat from floating away. The anchor keeps the boat grounded. Hope in Jesus Christ is an anchor for our souls. Our hope is in a Savior who is willing to suffer the curses of breaking the covenant for us that we might share in all God's blessings. So practically, what does this all mean for our lives? In our text, God assures us of his trustworthiness. He is a God who always keeps his promises. He is a God who went so far, he offered his dearly loved son as a sacrifice for our sins to guarantee our salvation. When God makes promises to us, we can take him at his word. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we don't always trust God's promises. We don't always hold on to the message of our text. And that, beloved, is what gets us into trouble. Why do you worry, beloved? Don't you trust God's wisdom and care? You know, he's leading your life. Why are you angry or bitter? Don't you trust God's justice? That he will right all wrongs and make all crooked things straight again? Why do you hate yourself? Don't you believe in God's love and grace? Why is it that you disobey some of God's commands? Is it because you think that if you don't grab for what you can get, you won't receive it? Don't you trust that God's presence in your life is much more fulfilling than anything that this life could offer? Or do you struggle with a lack of self-control? Could it be that you're not focused on the hope God has granted you as an anchor for your soul? There's much we can learn from Abram when he faced doubts and struggles in his faith. He didn't run away from God. He ran to God. He laid his fears and struggles before the throne of grace. He asked God, how can I know that your promises to me will come true? God cut a covenant with him to assure him of his trustworthiness. And beloved, we may be even more certain of God's love and faithfulness. With Abram, God walked between the pieces of the cut up animals as a sign of his faithfulness. But for us, we know that Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God, signified by this ceremony, while hanging on the cross. 
In Romans 8.32, Paul asks, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give us his only son, will he not also provide every other blessing we need? Do you know what the greatest of those blessings is? It's not to be found in the things of this life. Our greatest blessing is being able to say, Lord, you are my shield and my very great reward. When we face doubts and struggles and challenges in life, our comfort and assurance is that God is our God and that we are his people in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the anchor for our souls. He grounds us and he gives us hope. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing. Psalm 105, stanzas 3 and 4.